This is the Sterling Vineyard Sundays podcast. We are a church passionate about encountering Jesus and sharing his love with our city. To find out more about who we are, visit our website at sterlingvineyard.co.uk. Okay, well, good morning, everyone. Um, so I'm Stephen. Um, I've been coming to, how long has it been now for you? Probably six months or so. Been coming along to the church now for about six months. Becca's shaking her head. Uh, I'm married to Rebecca, who's sitting there just in front of the sound desk, the one shaking her head. I've got three kids, Nathan, Jude, and Aaron, all coming to the church, which is, which is great. And it's just been such a great time to join and uh, meet all you guys. And um, yeah. So today we're continuing our series on David, and uh, we're kind of going through David's life from when he was anointed initially to become uh, king of Israel all the way through um, the the book uh, in in Samuel. And the story starts back in um, Samuel chapter 15, where there's a bit of a transition away from Saul. So Saul is the king of of Israel at the moment. Um, Well, not right now, but back back in the day. And there's this transition away from the dynasty of Saul. And God says to the prophet Samuel that he regretted making Saul king, for he was uh, turned back from following me. He has not performed my commandments. And then in uh, chapter 16, um, which I think Fee covered a few weeks ago, um, we then see God reveal his choice for the next king of Israel in Judah, uh, who is David. And David was found, it's kind of an obscure pick, right? Because David is the youngest in the family of a guy called uh, Jesse. And he's out in the field looking after his sheep. And Samuel goes through all of his brothers. And, you know, there's the big handsome guy. And no, no, not him. And then it goes all the way down to the guy that's looking after the sheep and uh, picks him. So he's brought in from shepherding uh, and protecting the sheep to be anointed by Samuel as the future king of Israel. But rather than maybe, like in a movie, there would then be a massive swift uprising against the current king and David would take the throne. That's not what happens. There's a really long story of um, this transfer of power to the throne. And this, um, there is no quick transfer. Um, and it's, it's fascinating to me, reading the story, just how patient David was for so long. That, and we'll, we'll see this over the next few weeks as well. Is this story doesn't resolve itself until the end of the book of Samuel, which is another 20 chapters or so away. So there's quite a lot of the story to go through where, before David actually becomes king uh, when Saul dies. Not to spoil it, but that does happen. Um, so it's a story of waiting. It's a story where there's a lot of uh, patience from David's side. But what we're going to see today is there's a lot of jealousy. There's a lot of threat. Uh, There's danger, there's attempts on David's life, and ultimately David ends up fleeing from Saul. So it's quite a difficult time for David. Um, But in all of this, um, we see David, who's the anointed one. We see him serving in the court of Saul. We see him playing music in Saul's court. And as we heard last week, David stands in for Saul and fights Goliath and takes down Goliath. And so David's in service to this guy, even though he's been anointed as king. So it's a really interesting story. Um, So I've said it's not a rapid transfer of power, I've repeated that. (laughs) And something of a journey that David has to go on. 
Uh, and so what I want us to explore today is what is different about David. What was his mindset? What set him apart from, uh, from Saul? Because remember, God said that Saul had turned his back on God and he wasn't following his commandments. So why was, why was David different? And we'll get into that a little bit. Um, so like last week, we saw the first of David's successes was when he killed Goliath. And there are many more that we'll read through in, in chapter 18. So if you want to open your Bibles, uh, you can go to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18. Just while you're looking that up, I'll give you a wee second. If you haven't got your Bible, then there's one's table on the table at the back, I believe. Um, and if you have a phone without the app, I think you can just go to bible.com and it will pop up. So 1 Samuel chapter 18. We're going to read through most of the chapter and then go a little bit into chapter 19 as well. So starting at verse 1 then, when David had finished speaking with Saul, Jonathan was bound to David in close friendship and loved him as much as he loved himself. Saul kept David with him from that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as much as himself. Then Jonathan removed his robe uh, removed the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his military tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. So here in the first section, we see David being accepted into Saul's household. Um, Jonathan, the son of Saul, is really fond of David um, and it actually establishes a covenant with him, which kind of ties their destinies together, which becomes interesting later on in, in the story. Uh, there's something, I think, in that covenant relationship that's quite symbolic and with, um, I think, when Jonathan's removing, you know, his tunic, his sword, his bow, and so on, it's almost like symbolic, where, where Jonathan would have been the natural heir to Saul, that he's almost saying, like, he recognizes what David is carrying. So then back in verse 5, uh, David marched out with the army and was successful in everything Saul sent him to do. Saul put him in command of the fighting men, which pleased all the people and Saul's servants as well. As the troops were coming back, when David was returning from killing the Philistine, the women came out from all the cities of Israel to meet King Saul, singing and dancing with tambourines, with shouts of joy, and with three string instruments as they danced, the women sang, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Saul was furious and resented this song. They credited tens of thousands to David, he complained, but they only credited me with thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul watched David jealously from that day forward. So as with Goliath, uh, we see David's continued success in the battlefield, and David is, uh, is actually becoming highly celebrated, championed among the people. And here in verse 7 is really where things are getting a bit awkward for Saul, and we have the first signs of jealousy starting to stir up within Saul, and jealousy towards David. So then from verse 10, uh, the next day an evil spirit sent from God came powerfully on Saul and he began to rave inside the palace. David was playing the lyre as usual, but Saul was holding a spear and he threw it, thinking, I'll pin David to the wall, but David got away from him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had left Saul. Therefore, Saul sent David away from him and made him commander over a thousand men. David led the troops wisely and continued to be successful in all his activities because the Lord was with him. When Saul observed that David was very successful, he dreaded him. 
So we see this kind of continued, um, I guess, downward spiral of this relationship that Saul and the trust that Saul had within David. Um, and that's all because Saul could see that God had left him and God was now with David. So in verse 17, Saul starts to get a little bit crafty uh, and he offers his daughter in marriage um, on the condition that David would be a warrior for me and fight the Lord's battles. But Saul was actually thinking, I don't need to raise a hand against him. Let the hand of the Philistines be against him. So apart from trying to pin David to a wall earlier with the spear of all things, um, he's now sending David out into the battlefield hoping that the Philistines are going to kill him and just deal with it that way so he doesn't need to kill him himself. And in all of this, David is still acting in loyal service. He's exercising wisdom and he succeeded and God was with him. Um, In the next verse, David responded, But who am I? And what is my family or my father's clan in Israel that I should become the king's son-in-law? So he's pushing back a little bit here. But it's, I guess it's quite humble. He's sitting there knowing that he's been anointed as the king. And yet he doesn't see himself as worthy enough to become the son-in-law of the current king. And there's a bit of humility in there, I think. Now, this story repeats itself uh, with another one of Saul's daughters who David does actually end up marrying. Um, but in verse 25, you skip down there, he says, actually, Saul intended to cause David's death at the hand of the Philistines. So again, same thing, different daughter, um, kind of the worst father-in-law prize, I think, uh, you, could, you could probably give him. Um, and so again, David is successful. He goes out and kills all these Philistines and, and takes, uh, I don't know if it's Michael or Michel, I'm not sure how you spell it, how you pronounce it, I don't know, should have looked into that. Um, But in verse 28, Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter loved him, and he became even more afraid of David. As a result, Saul was David's enemy from then on. Then the Philistines came out to battle, and, uh, and when they did so, David had more success and behaved himself more wisely than all Saul's servants, so that his name was very dear and highly esteemed. So in chapter 19... Guess what? More of the same. So we've got the same pattern again, uh, but it kind of steps up a, up a gear. Saul is just a bit more explicit now about killing off David. Um, he's now openly talking about it with his son. In verse 1 in chapter 19, he says, Saul ordered his son Jonathan and all of his servants to kill David. And remember, Jonathan's made that covenant with David. He's tied himself to his destiny. Uh, so Jonathan initially talks Saul out of this. Um, But again, there's this pattern. When war broke out again, this is from verse 8. When war broke out again, David went out and fought against the Philistines. He defeated them with such great force that they fled from him. Now an evil spirit sent from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in his palace again holding a spear. David was playing the lyre and Saul tried to pin David to the wall with the spear. As the spear struck the wall, David eluded Saul David eluded Saul, ran away, and escaped that night, up to verse 10. And then finally, in verse 11, Saul sent agents to David's house to watch for him and kill him in the morning. So it's a deteriorating relationship, I think you could say. Um, but in verse 11, uh, this is where, Sam, uh, sorry, where David wrote Psalm 59, 
which is entitled When Saul Sent Agents to Watch the House and Kill Him. So we can make a pretty clear link there. Um, so if you want to skip over to Psalm 59, and I'll just kind of summarize from there that we've, we've seen this phase of David's journey that um, David's continually being successful uh, because God is with him. He hasn't walked away. He hasn't risen up. He's been faithful to God's plan and God's timing. He hasn't tried to take the throne from Saul in any other way. Um, and this is all in the face of threat and attack and jealousy and anger um, from Saul and the knowledge that God has left Saul. So as we look at Psalm 59, it's kind of in three parts. And what I want us to look here is, what, where's, where's David at this point, right? He's anointed king, but he's facing all of that that I've just said. Um, what, where is he looking? Where is his strength coming from? What's the source of his success? So the first part uh, goes from verse 1 to 5 and reads, Rescue me from my enemies, my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Rescue me from evildoers and save me from men of bloodshed. Because look, Lord, they set an ambush for me. Powerful men attack me, but not because of any sin or rebellion of mine. For no fault of mine, they run, up and take, uh, they run and take up a position. Awake to help me and take notice, Lord God of armies. You are the God of Israel. Rise up to punish all the nations. Do not show favor to any wicked traitors. So, you know, David's pretty clear. He's asking God to rescue him. He's in an impossible situation. Saul's got all of his people in and around him, trying, just watching, waiting for the opportunity to kill him. And his prayer is to God, is to rescue him. It's not to try and do it in his own strength. Um, he knows that it's not his fault. The, it says there, probably verse 3, uh, that, and there's a sense of injustice there, um, that it's not, no fault of mine that, that they take up this position. So David first sets his hope in God. He looks to God for rescue, and he knows that, that God is the God of armies. He knows that he is bigger than the armies that he's, he's facing. So then from verse 6, they return at evening, snarling like dogs and prowling around the city. Look, they spew from their mouths, sharp words from their lips, for who they say will hear. But you laugh at them, Lord. You ridicule them. You ridicule the nations. I will keep watch for you, my strength, because God is my stronghold. My faithful God will come to meet me. God will let me look down on my adversaries. Do not kill them, otherwise my people will forget. By your power, make them homeless wanderers and bring them down, Lord your shield. Lord our shield, sorry. For the sin of their mouths and the words of their lips, let them be caught in their pride. They utter curses and lies, consume them in fury, consume them until they are gone. Then people will know throughout the earth that God rules over Jacob, meaning, meaning Israel. So David, in this section, reinforces his hope in God sees God as his safe fortress, but he goes past this knowing that God is going to act because God will respond. And he declares a purpose that gives us an insight, I think, into, into David's heart. It says, Then people will know throughout the earth that God rules over Israel. And that's what's important to God. It's not important that David gets his reign. It's not important that David is successful in himself. He cares about God's reign. He cares about God's renown. 
Um, and I think that's kind of key to his success, is that he's working with God. He's not trying to get God to do stuff because that's what he wants. Um, and that's important to us at the vineyard here too. You know, we talk about the rule and reign of God. We talk about the kingdom of God. And so, you know, whatever I guess we're doing, we want to do it for God and not for ourselves. We may have a vision. We may be facing all sorts of trouble trying to implement that vision or, you know, in the same way that David is maybe waiting to become king. Um, you know, what's important is that we focus on God and glorifying his name. So I've got some, uh, a few things that we can take out of this. Um, so then uh, on from verse 14, is it? And they return at evening, snarling like dogs and prowling around the city. They scavenge for food. Um, they growl if they are not satisfied. But I will sing of your strength and will joyfully proclaim uh, your faithful love in the morning. For you have been a stronghold for me, a refuge in my day of trouble. To you, my strength, I sing praises, because God is my stronghold, my faithful God. So out of all of that, David turns to praise God. He's in a situation, you know, worse than those that have been sent to kill him, yet they're the ones scavenging for food, and yet David turns to proclaim truths about God, to look at God's promises. Um, and we see that attitude in David throughout all of the Psalms. He always used these, uh, uses these phrases uh, in all of his Psalms. Um, so, yeah, that is where... David finds his strength. God is the source of David's success because in the hard times, he retreats into, into a point of, of prayer and, and just reliance. Trust on God. God is his fortress. That's why David is successful. So um, I'm just going to ask the uh, Katie and Nick to come back up and move into a time of uh, worship. Um, there'll be a few of us at the back if anyone would like prayer. Um, and, I, you know, I don't know what you guys are all facing right now. I don't know what you're, um, what you're struggling with. Maybe you feel like you've been chasing a promise. Maybe you need to get to that point where you put your hope in God rather than in my own strength to try and implement uh, a, a promise. Um, maybe you feel like you're in all sorts of trouble and peril. You know, we're here to pray for you, to put our arms around you and to, to see what God has to say about those things. Thanks for listening to the Sterling Vineyard Sundays podcast. If you want to get in touch with us, please visit our website at sterlingvineyard.co.uk or find us on social media at Sterling Vineyard Church.